Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Two Beers, Please. I'm Matthew Smith, and of course I'm joined with my compatriot Yannick. It's a beautiful fall Friday night with even some football, Friday Friday night football to accompany it. Our Hawkeyes taking part in, in the Big Ten Friday night game against Minnesota. Annual battle for the Florida Rosedale. We got lots for you tonight, or today, or whenever I guess you're listening to this. It doesn't really matter. Evening for us, but uh, yeah, lots for you guys, including uh, an attempt to talk about college basketball outside the realm of just Luca Garza and the Hawkeyes. We're, we're going to try and talk about one of the other 300 teams uh, and, you know, several thousand players. We'll, we'll see if we can accomplish that. No, no guarantees. Uh, understated weekend in college football, but still some big games. We got Masters updates, of course. That's taking underway down in Augusta. And we'll review last night's Thursday night football and make our NFL picks for the weekend. Here's the obligatory part at the start of the episode where I implore you to like the Facebook page, follow our Insta at two beers, please underscore podcast, the Twitter page two BP underscore podcast, subscribe over on Apple podcasts, Spotify anchor, go listen to the local jazz hall. Uh, and, and I know I'm a broken record, but you know, please leave us a review, shoot us a tweet, leave a comment on Instagram or Facebook text Yannick or I, uh, and, and let us know your thoughts on the show. All insight is is honestly appreciated. Usually that's how I get most of my, you know, feedback is just texts from my friends giving me shit. Um, and, and speaking of that, you know, thank you to, to all the family and friends who have uh, Yannick and I for listening and showing your, your support. We all, I know, have friends that seem to start podcasts daily. So giving, <laughs> giving your time and showing some love, honestly, does mean a lot to us. So so thank you. We appreciate it. Jan, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. Uh, speaking of friends and family, I'm going to start my, uh, my part of the podcast here. Uh, in the last episode, uh, I said something about my dad that my dad promptly texted me and said, "How dare you? That's not true." So I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little corrections corner here. Dude, uh, I was I, kind of expecting that out of my out of my mom. I was like, as soon as we got into the parent talk, I was like, "We're we're gonna get in trouble because we're gonna we're gonna say something that we're not." You know, this this is where you start learning the the, the hot mic in front of you. You you can really talk yourself into some trouble. I just. Didn't expect it to be our parents as the first ones. Right. So I, I, my thing was less that I was wrong and more, I guess I just misremembered something. I made a comment uh, in the last episode. I talked about Union Berlin being back in the Bundesliga and winning and my dad, you know, being a fan of them. And my dad probably Oh, yeah. Said, they'd never been. Yeah. Union Berlin promptly said, I was never a fan of Union Berlin, maybe Herder Berlin, but never a fan of Union Berlin. They were East Berlin and they went to shit after the wall fell. And I was like, okay, all right. That's so not my team. That's not my team. And I said, okay, I will make sure to, to correct myself there. So Miguel and Carnesau, not a Union Berlin fan for all of you out there who hoped he was disappointing i know but uh that's that's the truth and that's that's what i gotta say otherwise yeah, i'm doing he's got well, a though. secret he's got a secret closet of just union berlin stuff oh my gosh <laughs> a secret union no, berlin no one closet. will ever know my shame yeah and then he also texted me oh and you didn't mention in the second bundesliga hamburg sv and and their rivals played and it was a big 2-2 draw. Then I said, Dad, we can't cover everything. I don't know what to tell you. 
I if if Hamburg gets back in the Bundesliga, I'll gladly talk about it. But they're such trash that they got relegated, and I'm not talking about it. Look, this is where I say, you know, let us know your thoughts on on the podcast because if the the second Bundesliga is a league that you want us to to get far more in depth in, please let us know because I'm sure there isn't. Um, I I wonder how many podcasts go go really in depth into. We sh- that's what we should do. Just like all the lower the lower leagues and, and never even a mention of, of the major ones. Right. Exactly. We'll do the minor leagues in baseball, you know, we'll do the NWSL, you know, we'll do everything like that. It'll be really great. It'll, It'll be, be really, really great. And it'll be great. Uh, no, yeah, but I'm doing well. Uh, got a haircut just now. So feeling, feeling fresh, feeling fresh there. I couldn't tell uh, at first because of the, the, the headphones, but I see now and it looks, it looks great. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. And I also got uh, gonna thank my dad for this one. I got the the triple twenty twenty Bayern shirt on. Ooh, that's that is fresh. That is it that's is. nice. So I'm feeling good and victorious. And uh, yeah, how about you, Matt? How you doing, buddy? I'm I'm well. It's it's a difficult episode. So because we well we were basically gonna hit record as the Hawkeyes were kicking off. We got delayed because as normal I was running behind. Which if you know me, that's very par for the course um but <laughs> hey the masters that's yeah, great exactly. <laughs> hey look this is i work i work at this you think you think that just happened randomly i had that planted so so early on uh no but you know it's a, it's a true test of focus and and just grit if i'm going to be honest but i'm excited to watch them excited for this episode excited to be talking sports there is there is some sad news unfortunately Paul Horning, the great Green Bay Packer and Notre Dame Irish football player, passed away today at the age of 84. Best known as a running back, but but really one of the more, I mean, back in the day, kind of when guys were more versatile, but even uh, for the time period, a very versatile player, played quarterback, played kicker, um, a part of the Packers Super Bowl winning team in 1969, the first Super Bowl, also won four NFL championships before the creation of the Super Bowl, which for some reason, historically, we just pretend like they don't exist. Uh, I'm not bitter about it because the Packers have a lot of them, but that's that's a topic for another day. But uh, NFL MVP, Heisman winner, truly one of the all timers, one of the guys that that made the NFL into what it is today. You know that that era of the '50s is is really when that popularity grew from. Okay, this isn't this isn't just a sport. This could be something a lot bigger. Um, so we wish him well, his family and his friends well, and and rest in power, number five. Yeah. Yeah, I did not know that. So uh, definitely a loss for the football world. And um, yeah, I mean, you talk about he's just got. Yeah, I don't know. The early Super Bowls. I, I agree. I don't know why we discount them. Like at that point, why does Brazil have as many World Cups as they do? Like everything yeah, before the 60s like, should it's be. Still, it's, still an NFL, it's still an NFL championship, right? Like I know it's not a Super right. Bowl, but like they're technically – at least, I at least want like you know half a point in the all-time count of of titles, because I, I, I'm sure Bears fans would would agree with me too. Because and probably Browns fans. There's there's a lot of it's all the old old school teams that would be like, yeah, we should we should count those because I don't even know what a Super Bowl is. But uh, Jan, let's make our way over to we're gonna make our way to the local brewery. It's a it's a real hip um, trip this week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what what are you drinking on this evening for for the episode and and the, and the Hawkeye football game? So this is this is a very important drink. 
Yes. Uh, well, you know, I I was feeling I was feeling nostalgic, and I thought, what beer, one of our favorite feelings? One of our favorite feelings, and what beer to like drink to, while watching the Hawkeyes? You know, I I got it open when uh, when the Hawkeyes scored the first touchdown of the game, and I said, this is gonna be a good night, and that is a natty light. Boy, <laughs> dude, the way you the way you're setting that up, my guess was going to be uh, a little Keith Stone action, a little Keystone. But Natty Light, Natty Light is the better call of the two. Um, oh yeah, well done, yeah, yeah. well done. A little Natty Light action. How about you, buddy? What are you drinking tonight? The Hawks, the Hawks will certainly win now. Um, well, I said brewery because there's a, a, a Evil Twin Brewery that's just kind of near our place, um, which I randomly like run by. And I still actually haven't been to the brewery, but picked up one of their sours it's called the fruity stay at home it's a very like it is a very fruity sour beer as opposed to tart um but i actually got i already drank one because well it's friday so oh that had like that was like what listening to someone's back get cracked in all the right places and then like a really a really nice finish it was hopefully hopefully it'll be as relaxing as that would be also, the fruity stay at home definitely the name of the episode. I'm just yeah. gonna start naming. I'm naming it right here. The fruity stay at home. That's uh, that's what it is tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I love it. I do oh, like. Boy. I do like that. It's always like basically something we say because then it's like like in a movie or whatever when they say the title of it. I I love when they happen when that happens. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best part of every movie. I know it's kitschy, but if when it happens, no matter what movie it is, if it's dramatic or funny, no matter what, I literally go, that one, that yeah. one. Oh, yeah, like, that's that's the title. I wish, like, every movie would, like, be forced to do it. I, I don't know how, but it'd be like, that's Master and Commander, far side of the world. Like, it would be really difficult for some, because some of them, it's like, it would happen naturally, but there's some where... You're like, you are really trying to to fit this into your movie here. Right. At some point in the movie, they go, man, you know what this is? This is the hunt for Red October. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And it's like, we, we truly are the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I just look around and smile. I'm like, what the? Oh, man, you know what's what going you on? A jackass. <laughs> weird to choose like a, a i guess a documentary is jackass technically a documentary i don't know what jackass is who knows which <laughs> avant-garde jackass is yeah. the avant-garde of our our modern era i'm oh, cool God. with that i mean i'll i'll go with it i think we got to go to taylor dell for the in-depth uh in-depth <laughs> i don't think she it. is going to agree <laughs> with me on that oh boy oh boy Mostly because I'm sure there's a lot. I remember like when I first learned about avant-garde and like 50, 60 years ago, the films were like, somebody was like splitting open an eye and then like a lobster came out. So I, the Jackass film, if that's what they were doing 50 years ago, the, the Jackass film is not going to be nearly weird enough for whatever they're doing now. What a statement. Jackass is just not weird enough yeah. to be involved I mean, in this genre. Surprising to say, but uh, <laughs> I think it's true. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that absolutely. All right, Jan, we're gonna start with our boy Luca Garza, but then let's talk even more college basketball. 
we'll, we'll talk about kind of what we we expect from from Luca and a little bit about the Hawks. Um, but then also, I want three players from you that you're looking out for this year. Um, and then we'll also get into our top five currently. Um, but from your perspective as a Hawkeye fan and just you know a college basketball fan, what are you what are you looking for from Garza? What do you expect from them this year? Um, just just give me your your thoughts currently on. I mean, because we haven't we haven't had an athlete like this at Iowa in quite some time. I don't think ever in, in my lifetime. So give me your your uh, your two cents as a Hawk fan. Yeah, I mean, I think our our even regardless of how bad this football season started, I think as soon as Luca Garza said he was staying, we were, were more excited for basketball season. We just were, and I think it's because I've never seen at least I'm trying to think uh, since I started being a Hawkeye. So that was my sophomore year of high school. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of a more dominant. Uh, and just game game determining player of any Hawkeye. Not wrestling is different, obviously, because wrestling is like a one person thing. And obviously wrestlers sure. are dominant and Iowa wrestlers are dominant. And if we're talking about the best or most of anything in Iowa sports wise. Like we got to have to like, to, let's not include wrestling because wrestling is, it's going to take the cake every time. Right. But in terms of like football, basketball, between those two, I, I, I can't think of many, players that would match up with just Luca Garza. I mean, almost 24 points a game about almost average a triple double last year was big 10 player of the year. I mean, he's the only one that was even in the best player in the country conversation coming back. So he's automatically the best player uh, in the country. And I mean, the, the Hawkeyes have a player that is not only dominant, but consistent. And that is so hard in college to have. I mean, when, you know, you have the scorers, obviously, that get hot. And, and, and yeah, I mean, you have the scores that get hot and, and, you know, can hit a lot of threes and, you know, the ones that are dazzling. But, like, big men in college college basketball, they, cu- they, they come and go between games a lot of the time. Uh, because they're just not a skill. Scores, just scores in general. I think, dude. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. And so Luca Garza just completely consistent. And because he's such a dominant rock that he's making the points and getting the rebounds to kick out for the points, I just like the Hawkeyes just need to be minimally good to go to the Final Four. Like truthfully, they just have to hit a couple shots, and they are can be beat any team. And so when you have that, plus Luca Garza surrounded by a decent group of players. I mean, he makes you a contender. I mean, it doesn't matter who Hawks have around him. With Luka Garza, Iowa, in my opinion, is going to make their first Final Four since 1980. Hell yes. I mean, I I think it's totally, totally true. I mean, viable, um, and which is like kind of crazy to say. It's one of those things like – because as, as a Hawk fan, as a sports fan, like basketball has always been my – my like love. So uh, of course I love Iowa football, but I've always wanted us to be really good at basketball. And we've always been like better at football during in my lifetime than we've been at basketball. So there's that part of it uh, as well. Yeah. I, I the, the consistency th- thing you bring up, I think is a great point. And it was one of the things that really like it, it just caught my attention of us last year, because it would be, you know, 20 point game after 20 point game. And you're, you're kind of just wondering like, 
all right, when's he going to kind of slow down a little bit? Like we've seen guys, like we've seen Utah go off and and play well and then kind of, you know, get cooler. Uh, you know, Jock and Haluska were leading scorers in the Big Ten, but it not even close to the way that Garza was. And I think it's partly, too, it's just the way he plays. If you're going to shoot three-pointers, they're not always going to go in. Luca, and and the thing I, I hope and I think will stay true is, is Luca. He doesn't always care. Like he wants it to look pretty, but he also knows that he's seven feet tall and strong as hell. So he's going to bully you until he's under that basket. And all he has to do is just stand up and, and put it in. Like it's not even a layup. Like he's, he's just, just standing right next to it. So the guy makes the game so much easier on himself because of the work he does even before he gets the ball. Um, yeah. I mean, 44 points last year in that loss to Michigan. I think that was when we all really caught his, you know, attention of, of damn, this guy really has taken a step. I don't think you can expect him to, you know, take near the step he made uh, last year. That just because it was such. I mean, I have rarely seen uh, an athlete get so much better in one year like he did. But should should probably still be the Big Ten leading scorer, and hopefully he doesn't have to score as much. You know, hopefully that Wieskamp and Frederick and just those role players are are hitting at, at a higher mm-hmm. clip where he gets maybe a few less offensive rebounds for layups and we get a few more three pointers, but excited to see what he can do. As, as we mentioned last episode, the only unanimous preseason all American expected to be, you know, most preseason players of the year. Um, and, and we hope he will live up to it, but Jan, we do, we do have to talk about some other players. Um, so why don't we, I'll let you start. Give me one player. We'll kind of go back and forth here um, that you're looking out for this year in college basketball. I'm intrigued. Right, to, I'm intrigued to see if we have any that are the same. Because sometimes when we do these sort of things, I'm like, it'd be kind of fun, or it'd be like kind of smart to to maybe touch base. But on this one, I was like, I think it'd be kind of maybe more telling if we don't, and then we have you know an overlapping one. So hit me with your first one. Well, it's so funny that you say that because when you said three to watch, and then you also said, and then we'll go through our top five. I I didn't want to mention the same players over and over again. So I. My three to watch are not the bet like these are the best players in the league. They're three to watch like people aren't looking at them as much as they should. So that's why that's where my three to watch come from. And that's what I'm gonna go with there. If you pictures differently, obviously fine. So maybe we don't have the same players, but like my best are in the top five. I think I think my I think one I one of my top one of my top three players or one of my three players to watch is in one of my top five teams, but that team is kind of a surprise top five team. So, okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So I'm going to start with Garrison Brooks out of UNC. You know, North Carolina was bad last season. Roy Williams fielded his worst team of, of his career probably. Uh, but Garrison Brooks was really steady, you know, and he's looking to have a really big senior season. I think UNC has re- retooled a lot. I think Roy Williams has learned a lot of like about the mistakes that were made and, you know, in the ACC, I, I think UNC could go worst to first. They really could with Garrison Brooks playing really well uh, out of North Carolina. So Garrison Brooks, one of my three to watch. It's kind of weird how Roy Williams has, like, he'll randomly have just, like, a not a good year at UNC. And of course, Cole Anthony got injured last year, so they probably would have been a little more competitive. But even with him, they were not, they weren't the UNC that you expect. But, uh, yeah, Garrison Brooks, absolutely great big man and if there's anything that Roy knows how to do it's it's produce big guys that produce at a high clip rebounding and scoring uh my first one I'm going with the Yoki State the freshman Cade Cunningham 
the next great freshman to hit college basketball and perhaps the best on ball first year in a while. You know, he's a combo guard listed. I've seen him listed at six, six to six, eight. So, so I'm saying he's about six, seven, um, but massive size for a guy that you could put really at the one or the two uh, with that size and that athleticism match with the skill that he he's got. Um, he's going to be a, a real dangerous player and he's going to have the ball in his hands so much more. I mean, even a guy like Zion, as dominant as he was, Zion's not a guy that's going to take the ball up the court and stuff. Cunningham's going to be able to do that, and he's going to be able to, to really physically dominate um, guys at that position as well. So Mike Boynton in his third season, he's going to be giving the keys uh, to the car to Cunningham, and, and we'll see what he can do. Yeah, Cade Cunningham, I mean, definitely the future number one pick in the draft in my head, you know, and he's being touted as good as any prospect, you know, in the 2000s, he's really got so much hype on him. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do. And OK State, not necessarily the team, you know, to watch per se, but like I think Kate Cunningham makes them that makes them dangerous every game. It's it's it was funny. Like as I was typing this thing up earlier, I was like, and maybe they can, you know, behind a player make a deep uh, play or tournament run. And I was like, oh wait, nope, they're they're banned from the tournament this year. So. Yeah, won't be seeing him in the NCAA tournament, sadly, but uh, should be should be fun to see what he can do in the reg of the season, especially after last year with like James Wiseman being the top kind of recruit and never getting to see him play. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And everyone's and just with a name, Cade Cunningham. You know, that's, that's a, a good one, dude. That's it's a, a, it's a really strong name. Name. I'm re- I'm ready to I'm ready to hear. I'm ready to hear the announcers go. Cade Cunningham from deep. Yeah. In Madison Square with the Garden slam. The oh man! All right, who's your next guy, Jan? Yeah, I'm gonna name. You know what? I'm gonna actually go a little differently here. I was gonna do less, but you already brought up Cade Cunningham, so I'm gonna up the ante too. We're going Io Dusanmo. I, I can never say that name. Io Dunsumo for the Io fighting Donisumo. Alini. Donisumo. There we go. Io Dude, I love. I, I love. I don't know how this always happens, but if because we, I mean, just throughout the, all the athletes we speak of, if one of us like has it like trouble with it or like doesn't fully, I swear every time the other one does, like there's never been a time oh, yeah. where like, it's like, I'm not sure. Like every single time one of us is like, Oh no, it's like this. I'm like, Oh, thanks man. Yeah. That's what that's teamwork. Two, there you go. Or two halves of the, of one brain. Um, I'll take it. Got, I'll take it. But yeah. Uh, sumo for the fighting of Lenny, you know, he's a junior. He's a prolific score. He was all Big Ten first team. I, I and I I just think he's such a he's such a great scorer in so many different ways for that Illinois team that I I mean they have a really good chance at a championship run. I really do think so. So uh I I, I really like Io Dunasumo for the fighting Illini. Yeah, the the Illini when I I thought for sure, because I was always pretty confident until like the end that Garza was gonna come back. And I thought Illini wise, I was like Donasumo or Coburn, like one of them's going to go if we're lucky both. And then when they both came back, and I think it was like news around the same time as Garza, I was like, well, God, thank, thank God, especially now Garza came back because they're going to be tough. Those guys are, like you said, Donasumo can, you know, fill up the the, the rack. Uh, kind of one of those guards, like you, like you say, with Garza, like he's not someone who is, or he hasn't been as consistent. Maybe we'll see if, if he can do that. But even if he's not giving you 20 points every single game, it'll be 13 here and then 30 the next. So one of the most explosive scorers, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. I'll stick with explosive scorers. 
I'm going over to Creighton, going to stay in the Midwest as well, to Marcus Zigarowski, kind of the undisputed big preseason, preseason, pardon me, Big East player of the year. You know, why why Dougie Fresh McDermott was at Creighton, coached uh, under his father, Greg, the Blue Jays had one of the most explosive and efficient offenses every single year. And a lot of that was because of Doug. But even when he's moved on, that offensive philosophy has stayed true. Uh, and Zigarowski's the newest beneficiary to McDerm- McDermott's high-paced offense. You know, they constantly score uh, with the highest numbers in the country. The cousin of Michael Carter-Williams, uh, such a great point guard at Syracuse. Improved his scoring as a freshman from 10 points per game to 16 points per game as a sophomore. And I think you're going to see a similar jump this year. I think he'll easily score over 20 points per game and, and probably be the motor uh, of one of the high, most high-powered offenses in the uh, in the nation. Kind of kind of similar to the Hawks. Very high-paced high and um, can can put up 100 on, on a team, you know, on a good night. Yeah, Zigorowski. He makes Creighton dangerous for sure, and I love that name and the European swagger. We love a European. We love a European scorer. We love him. Give us, give us more. Give us more Lucas and 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 Jokic's. All of that. All of that stuff. Uh, no, but it's going to be really exciting to see him play. I'm going to go from offense to defense uh, and and talk about the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year who is returning. It is Marcus Garrett for Kansas. Bill Self has said that Marcus Garrett is the best defender he's ever coached. I'll say that again. Bill Self said that Marcus Garrett is the best defensive player that he's ever coached. So think about all the players that he's coached over the years. That is a big statement, and I think it's well-earned. He does have to do some work on the offensive side a little bit, maybe become a little more of a two-way player if if, if he's going to you know really crack the the window for what he set last season. But I mean, he's just such a great defensive mind and such an intelligence and IQ for the game at a young age. And uh, yeah, he's just going to make Kansas real dangerous and real hard to score on. Yeah, you said it. I mean, if that guy had honestly even just a little bit better of an offensive game, everyone would know who he is because he's an elite defender and he does the little stuff too. Like he'll make those those plays where poke a ball here or there, just somehow come up with the ball in a scuffle of, of players. So Really a difference maker on the court. My last one. First, there's Onyika Onkongwu, who's getting overlooked in the draft. Now you got USC's new freshman center, Evan Mobley, not getting enough new credit. Probably not actually fair for me to say that. Onkongwu is, is going to go top 10 in the draft. And Mobley was ranked in the top five of most recruiting sites. But I still kind of think he's getting overlooked in just kind of the, the talk of the season ahead. His brother's already uh, a sophomore at USC. His dad's actually an assistant coach there. Um, so the team and the school, it's just it's set up for him to excel and dominate. The Pac-12 feels very open this year, uh, and, and Mobley's got. I, I think he's. I think he's the a five in in the modern NBA with his quickness and his length, um, and, and I think he can really dominate down low and and make USC possibly Pac-12 winners and dangerous in the tournament. Man, I love that. I love that. I I had him on my list, and then I took him off uh, for my, for my, we almost uh, had one. We almost had one, but I, we we, I think, uh, yeah, you're right. I think we covered the bases. I think yeah. we really did. I think we so did. Yeah. I, 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 was... I think we did just fine. We Thank did really well. Fun. All right, Jan, we let's go to our great. top five teams. We'll go back and forth like we do starting with number five. I'll start number five for me. I have Baylor here. Honestly, I'm, I'm probably being extremely unfair to, to Baylor. 
They lost one starter from a team that went 26 and four, including a 24 game winning streak. Defense is extremely tough and probably is only going to get better, but I still just worry a little bit about their ability to score. Uh, I think there's a chance, you know, they, they could be 2019 Virginia with an extremely good defense and then an efficient offense that has, you know, big time playmakers to, to make up for kind of being a slower paced offense. But for now, I'm still not a believer in that offense. So I'm going to put Baylor at five. Who do you got five, Jan? Well, man, talk about sharing a brain. I also have Baylor at number Love five. It. And I and I also wrote, this might not be fair. <laughs> it, it probably isn't. Like I like it I probably they probably deserve like at, at least two. Right. And they have Jared Butler, right? You know, he's that he he, he makes points, he makes steals, he's a six three guard whose return, you know, does make Baylor the big like a big twelve favorite. Uh, and that is something that should be noted. But what I'm going to focus on is the fact that Baylor, you know, they, you know, will figure it out if they're worried. They've never, ever been in the top 10 in a preseason poll. So this is the first time that they are showing up in the top 10. So we don't know what that even means for them yet. And they open with Arizona State and then play Villanova, Illinois, and Gonzaga. So even if they're good, they might lose three games on the bounce. And, you know, it's kind of hard to then, you know, schedule makes teams sometimes. And so, you know, if they can go through that stretch of games and win against two of those teams, like beat the fighting Illini, you know, beat Gonzaga or beat Villanova, whatever you want to say, then then I'll start believing in them. But we're going to figure out. They go two and three in that. Like, that's like you're almost sealing up a, a number one seed. Right, exactly. So like. That's just it. Like, we can't make a judgment on them yet, but we'll be able to really quickly. Because if they get beaten bad by those three teams, we know they're pretenders. But, you know, they also... Well, I mean, I think, like, we're we're putting them fifth. We're not really, like, we're not saying they're bad. We're just... I'm just not sure they're number one. I think, like, I think more your point of, like, Baylor is, like, they haven't... We've seen Baylor be, like, a really good program, but we haven't really seen them take that next step. Um, And even last year like the 26 and four record, they lost like three of their last five games or so. So we, we, the 24 game winning streak was like a big part of it. And, and it's, it's different between riding a winning streak and, and winning at other times, but we know they're going to be good. The question is just how good can they be? Um, and specifically, I think on the offensive side, Jan, why don't you give me your number four team? Right. My number four team is our Iowa Hawkeyes. I think Luca Garza makes them really dangerous. Uh, I still need to see how Wieskamp, you know, how Frederick perform around him. They they only have to be role players, but we've seen, you know, role players still need to be able to show up. Luca Garza showing up for 44 points, still losing to Michigan. That wasn't all on him. That was on the other players. So can they step up, do more for Luca so he can do less with more, you know, like, I mean, do more with less. So like, I, I think if they can take the pressure off of Luca a little bit, he won't have to do too much and he can instead make the points that matter rather than just making all of the points. Um, so I think that, you know, it, it, I was in a good spot. Luca Garza returns obviously, but six other Hawkeyes uh, return who have started. So it's like a good consistent team. Uh, the question is, you know, Iowa like Baylor is not used to this, this ranking so like what do we expect from them we've seen what they did last season we saw what luca garza did but uh you know it's their highest preseason ranking in 65 years and with that comes a lot of responsibility so we'll see if the other players as well as luca can answer the call yeah for sure and i mean with luca i'll talk about iowa actually in a bit but um when when you have a player who who the defenses are going to key up on him 
every single player, including a guy like Wieskamp, who, who defenses also are aware of, but because Luke is so good, even Joe, even Frederick, there's going to be space for them. There, there's going to be guys double teaming or helping. And so even like when you have that too, it's like you guys are capable enough role players, but I, I should hold off till I get to Iowa. My number four is my surprise top five team. I have Creighton. Uh, I don't think the Big East is, has gotten enough credit since they've stopped having football accompany it. Like I think people just like kind of forgot that there's still a really, really good conference. And, and I think they're as good as any conference in, in the nation, quite frankly. Um, mentioned Zigarowski, uh, but he's got a really strong supporting cast. They did lose some important players, including a transfer to Kentucky, but they get some size to, to help their battle down low. That, that's what really hurt them last year, especially rebounding. Uh, as I mentioned, they're, they're, they're like Iowa, where that offense is going to keep them in, in any game, but their defense suffers, and they lose games because of that as well. So if they can put together some more stops than they did last year, then this team will win games because their offense is that good. Um, I'll go right into my number three is because that is my the Hawks. Kind of already was starting to talk about that. Certainly biased, but um, yeah, I'm going with the optimistic view of those role players because as I was kind of getting into – I, I think they're all capable. I think Wieskamp and, and Frederick are, are ballers. I think they're guys that can go and get their shot against anybody. And now they're going to have the benefit of everybody being worried about big number 55. So you know he's going to show out, but also you hope that all the focus on him will help the other guys get their game going. And uh, and if that happens, the offense is going to be somewhat unstoppable. Uh, but yeah, Jan, who's your number three? Uh, my number three is the, I guess you would say, presumed favorite in the Big East. It is Villanova. You know, I think the, the Wildcats get four starters back. They've dominated the Big East. I mean, Jay Wright just owns that league. And I, I and while I think Creighton has a good chance of taking it away, don't get me wrong, I, I still, uh, you know, with their dominance in that section of the of the country, I, I think that they're a good bet to, you know, get hot and, and, and be consistent, especially with so many starters back. And yeah, I mean, Villanova Wildcats are just, you know, they're consistent. So I'm going to go with the Wildcats at number three. Love it. I love Jay Wright, the George, the George Clooney of college basketball. Jan, why don't you go right into your number two? Right. I'll go right into my number two. I, it's hard because, you know, Virginia are the the defending champions technically, but what does that mean? You know, like I, I have to rank so them. funny. I have to rank them, but at the same time, I, I think I read somewhere that like by the time the NCAA tournament happens, they'll have carried the national champion tag for like over 700 days. So the team that is going to come obviously into the next championship is not going to be the same team. But Virginia, a dominant defensive force for a couple of years now consistently, they return starters, they're going to be good. And I think that national championship tag, they're willing to fight for it. Uh, yeah, I just like that defense is just real strong and I, and it just was dominant last season. And I think we'll be dominant again this season. We'll be hard to score on. So I have them at number two. Yeah. Virginia under Tony Bennett. I don't, I don't think they're ever going to be bad, um, because the defense is so good and they're so, so strong on that side of the ball. But I always worry with them that the offense, like the offense is so just methodical and, and, and tough to run that I think you need the special kind of formula of guys like Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome and, and DeAndre Hunter to to make plays in that offense. But Bennett's going to have them 
be competitive because he just makes your life living hell while you're playing his team. My number two, you mentioned um Villanova. Uh, and the other, you know, a team that's really elevated themselves, I think, in the last few years from being a good program to one of the elites. Uh, championships in 2016 and 2018 marked the culmination of a long road for Jay Wright in this program. And now they're up there with with the best of them. And he's been playing small ball with Kyle Lowry, Randy Foy, and, and Alan Ray way back in 2006. So his style now that they're playing, it's so perfect for NBA prospects in the modern NBA, the, the whole 3 and D this team has several players like that. You guys got you got guys like Justin Moore, and Jermaine Samuels, another Gilleps, Gillespie, Gilleps, Gillespie, Gillespie. My goodness, uh, running the <laughs> offense for right. So yeah, I mean his team's always just they're always strong offensively. Um, they're they're long defensively, so that they you know create turnovers. Um, and he's just one of the best coaches to do it. So I got Villanova at two. I'll go right into my number one. I kind of assume that we have the same number one, Jan. We better. Um, <laughs> I'd be surprised. I got the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, the departure, yeah, the departure of Philippe Petrosev. Great news for the rest of the nation because I think if he had come back, I, I think Gonzaga was pretty clearly the best team in the nation, especially with the addition of, of point guard Jalen Suggs. But Petrosev's gone. They do get Suggs. Um, but, you know, for me, too, it's it's just the state of the program. I, I was just talking about what, you know, Jay Wright has done at Villanova. Mark Few hasn't gotten the national championship, but finally got the final four, finally got to that national championship game. Another program that's up there with the Duke and the Kansases and Kentuckys. The, the, the Gonzaga national title team is, is only win, not if. And this team feels like they got a really great chance to do it. Jan, tell me what you think. I presumably think of your number one team, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Yeah. I mean, Mark Few, what a program over there in Spokane. I mean, the fact that they can lose like four double digit scores a year and still be ranked number one every year. It's just a testament to that program. I don't think there's a program that's better run than the Gonzaga Bulldogs uh, team. So I, I, yeah, I, that's what it is. You know, at the end of the day, your program has to be strong and your players have to be strong and they, you know, it, it kind of seems like Gonzaga, instead of like rebuilding every year, like you feel like Kentucky does sometimes with like new talent and figuring out how to be prolific. It feels like Gonzaga just has the same players every year. I don't know how they do it, but they just have the same players every year. And then they just are, you know, they're just all good scorers. They're all good defenders. And I agree. I think it's just a matter of time before they get their shot. And, I th- and, and that it just seems like it's time. So uh, that's what I'm going. Obviously, if Philip Petrusev had had not gone, this would be like good luck, everybody. Like good luck getting them. They should win. They should absolutely win. They sh- they are the odds-on favorite. I would not bet against them in my life. But you know, maybe that gives a little opportunity for someone else. But I just I don't see a team, especially the strong defensive teams, being able to handle Gonzaga the way that they want to. Like a Virginia, for example, which is why I didn't put Virginia at number one, even though their defense is stifling. And uh, yeah, I just think it's the Gonzaga year. You think you think they're still clearly the best team? Because I think I think the loss of, of Petrosev personally, I think I think there's I still think they look like the best team. But I think it's a much it feels much more open to me. Where if he would have came back, I would have been like, oh, they're gonna win. It sounds like you still you feel even with his departure that that you you think it's clear that they they should win. Um, I, I wouldn't say that. So let me rephrase. When I say I think it's Gonzaga's year, I just think I like I, I was referencing like I think the time is coming. Like, you know, I feel like if they won this year, it you know, the clock has been ticking 
like you said, towards a win of the Gonzaga title. Uh, and this does feel like this could be the year. I definitely, when uh, Petrusev leaving, change the change that happens in my mind is Gonzaga should be disappointed if they don't win with Petrusev gone. Uh, with Petrusev there, I mean, with Petrusev gone, I think that they're my favorites to win the title. But I wouldn't like be shocked if they didn't. You know, with everything that happens in college basketball, with Petrusev, they should. I would be shocked. I would be shocked if they didn't make it at least to the Final Four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just just clarifying with you because I I I think we felt the same way and I was making sure We're that was the words. case. Words, yeah. words, words. Also, can I say one more thing about Luca Garza that I love? That like and and like I know this is going to sound like and I and I'm going to use a lot of puns here soon, so you know, bear with me. I know this is going to sound like the corniest thing to say about a guy from Iowa, but that that man is a farmer. You know, you're expecting him to just be sitting on his ass, but he's plowing the fields. He's plowing the fields. He's an mm-hmm. Iowa boy, and he's plowing the fields, and that's what he does. I like that. that that's nice. Real old school, old school kind of football coach vibe there. Right. Exactly. Again. That's well, exactly the vibe I get. There's our there's our top fives. Some players to look out for. College basketball right around the corner, and because of the lack of non conference games, a lot of them feel like marquee games. So. We should be getting some big-time games. The Hawks play Gonzaga in North Carolina. You mentioned Baylor's start to their uh, their season. So we should get treated to to some good games right from the start, and, and we can't wait. Jan, let's stay college, but let's go football. Uh, we'll, we'll stop in at our, our Hawkeye game. Currently up 14-0 with like a second to go. There's a targeting review going on. Going, so, going well so far, wouldn't you say? I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's been questions about what Minnesota is this season. So I was hoping that the Iowa after a good game against Michigan state would come out and, you know, they have, they came out faster than I expected. And then they slowed down a little less, you know, more than I wanted them to. Uh, But you know, they're up two touchdowns, so they just got to be consistent and that defense is doing work, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's kind of, it's surprising to me that, that Minnesota is, is this bad. And this game's going weird just for the sense of like, because Minnesota's bad, but they still have good offensive weapons with Tanner Morgan and uh, Rashad Bateman. Um, Muhammad Ibrahim is an absolute monster in the running game. It's been their defense that's kind of been killing them more. But then this one, 14-0, um, which is probably a good sign for the Hawkeyes. That's that's more of a, a nice, boring Iowa Hawkeye scoreline. But uh, hopefully the Hawks will pull it out. We'll be done with this so I can go, you know, worry about it in front of the TV and, and yell obscenities. Let's talk about some other games, Jan. We're going to start out west, number 11, Oregon, against Washington State. What are your thoughts on this Pac-12 matchup? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think Oregon's got it in the bag, right? I, I mean, Washington State doesn't look like they're going to be doing much this season. Uh, the Pac-12 and 12 in general you know, looks after the first week anyway, looks like it's going to be Oregon's. And so I, 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 I give this one to Oregon. I just think CJ Verdell is too good. And I, I think he probably leads the, them to the win against Washington state on his own. Uh, and Oregon goes two and oh, and they are on the path to being that Pac 12 top runner. Yeah. I, I mean, no, no disrespect for, to Washington state, which of course means I'm about to disrespect them, but kind of more <laughs> pick this game out because we're watching the Oregon offense. Um, I, I do think the Cougars could pull off the upset, but I, I think that Ducks are going to win. 
it's more for me, are they going to show more firepower? Because they were not that explosive against Stanford, and they're going to need some more offensive uh, firepower if they want to hang with Keaton Slovis and USC. So can that offense True. be a little sharper? Can they find some big plays? Uh, can they be, you know, maybe a little remnants of the, of the, the Chip Kelly days of Oregon? Um, but yeah, I, I do think they win. But can they be can they be a little a little more prolific on the offensive side of the ball? We shall see. We're going to go to the ACC now, number nine, Miami against Virginia Tech. You know, I miss the 2000s era of this game, the, the good old Beamer ball, where both teams would just score from punt returns and kick returns and blocked kicks and turnovers and would just leave the offensive touchdowns at home. Don't think that's going to be the case this weekend, and I'm blaming Derek King for that. Uh, Hokies are a good team. You know, they got they beat down BC earlier, but I, I think Derek King and Jan, I, we've kind of said this all year. It's just each game, he just looks better. He just looks like he has more control, more. he's just more comfortable in that offense, uh, and it's leading to him slicing up defenses. So I think Miami goes into Lane Stadium and gets the win. What are you seeing from this ACC matchup? Yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech's fine. Virginia Tech's, you know, they, they've shown some heart. But did you see what De'Eric King did last Thursday? I mean, did you see him single-handedly win a game? I mean, Miami was not good enough to win that game, and he single-handedly won them that game. And that, that to me, tells me no matter what Virginia Tech's going to throw at them, that De'Eric King at this level is going to be able to win it, even if they're in trouble. I mean, I think look for De'Eric King to continue his legitimacy run uh, towards a possible, you know, quarterback to look for in the draft. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly he's he's putting up the numbers for it uh, to 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 make that. But uh, yeah, he he's he's just fun to watch, and it's nice to see him get his chance in Miami after doing a lot of good things in Houston, but never never quite having the team. Let's go SEC now, Yannick, Arkansas against Florida, number six Gators. Give me your thoughts on like one of the only SEC games this weekend, unfortunately. Right. I mean, again, Arkansas, like Virginia Tech, they're a good team. You know, they got some good stuff about them. I think the Razorbacks have a good defense. You know, I think their offense can fly high. Uh, But, you know, again, like, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but like Kyle Trask, Derek King, same story, different person. You know, Kyle Trask is on a mission. He showed against Georgia last weekend. You know, he he's I, I just think this is his game. If the Razorbacks getting in a get in a throwing match with him, he might throw seven touchdowns. I just don't think Arkansas can out throw Kyle Trask. And therefore, I'm going to pick Florida with this one. I, I do like the Razorbacks and I do think that they can score on the Florida defense pretty consistently. So if Kyle, for whatever reason, you know, has a terrible game, then maybe this can be an upset alert. But I just think it's pretty much an easy win for Kyle, and I think he pads the stats for a Heisman mention. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, Arkansas have been the surprise of the SEC, maybe the NCAA this year. You know, since Brett Bielema for some reason left Wisconsin to go to Arkansas, they've been one of the most abysmal major programs in the country. But three and three should be four and two. I actually, their Wikipedia page says four and two, which is hilarious. Got screwed, <laughs> that, got screwed in that Auburn game. Like they, they should be four and two, but even three and three has uh, been a great season for them. Agreed with you though. You know, I, I don't think Arkansas finds another win here, no matter what even Wikipedia may try and say. I, I think this is Kyle Trask's time. Uh, and, and as you say, really a time to give the Heisman performance. He's, he's probably going to get all the love on his team this weekend with Kyle Pitts likely out with a concussion. You got Lawrence and Clemson off again this week. 
Justin Fields and Mac Jones both having games canceled or postponed. I mean, the Heisman stage is his this weekend. There, there's no one else out there, and he's been playing great all year, really. It seems like he's, he's another quarterback that's just getting better and better. He's clearly just feeling more confidence. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what he can do and if see if he can put his name in the Heisman race that, you know, there's there's times where it feels like there's a favorite, but I, I – I think that's like that, that favorite changes so much that it's pretty clear. It's a wide open race and, and we'll see if Mr. Trask can get his name into the competition this weekend. Let's go big Ten, Jan Northwestern Purdue. Of course, you know, the, a, a huge big 10 matchup, a battle for the leader in the big 10 West. Uh, and, and, and maybe even possibly the favorite in the big 10 West, depending on what's going on with Wisconsin. We know they have uh, lots of issues and if they miss another game, they are eliminated from contention uh, in the Big Ten championship game. So, you know, neither of these teams really looked amazing, even though they both sit undefeated, Northwestern 3-0, Purdue 2-0. But actually, that makes complete sense for the Wild, from the Wildcats' perspective. Pat Fitzgerald, one of the best coaches in the game, he wants his, his Northwestern defense to dirty up a game, let his offense make just enough plays. Grad transfer Peyton Ramsey is perfect in that role, uh, and I, I think Northwestern moves to 4-0. Who, Jan, are you picking to take the the uh, stranglehold of the Big Ten West? Yeah, of course, Purdue, you know. Do I have some salty feelings? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But uh, uh, I, this isn't anything personal against the Boilermakers, I think. I think you're right. I think Pat Fitzgerald has some special stuff going on in Northwestern. And I think past this year, no matter what happens, Northwestern continues the, their rise in the Big Ten relevancy chain. Uh, and yeah, I think they go four and here. I agree. Their defense is just too dominant, and and you're right. Their offense is just built very beautifully. You know, they're not the best offense in the world, but they just fit the game plan perfectly. They're they're, they're gross. They're like not appealing to watch, but they just their defense grosses up the game, and they make just enough plays. And <clears throat> like they're never they're never going to beat a major. Like they play they'll play Ohio State possibly in the Big Ten championship game and lose by sixty, but. Against teams that just like don't have that like insane talent, they they'll be in it because Pat Fitzgerald just knows how to coach his team. All right, Jan, last game for the college football this weekend, number two Notre Dame against Boston College. What are you thinking in this ACC game and and kind of the only the only game that includes one of the top four teams this weekend? Right. Well, uh, I, I remember you mentioning possibly an upset alert here, and uh, I, I love that pick, uh, if that's what you're still going with, and you can let me know later. But uh, yeah, I mean, oh, I what is Notre, <laughs> what it, what, who is Notre Dame? You know, they, they beat Clemson. We talked about it earlier this week. They beat Clemson, you know, Sons, Trevor Lawrence. It wasn't a pretty game for their defense that's supposed to be so dominant that got 40 points dropped on them. Obviously with uh, DJ Wangale, it's like not the worst thing in the world to give up 40 points. Uh, they did get the win though. They do have that number two uh, spot uh, underneath Alabama. So this came kind of for me will solidify whether, you know, they're legit enough to like go to the end with that Clemson rematch and like truly stay in the top four. Cause I think you're right. I think BC is stronger uh, than people give them credit for. I mean, you saw it already against Clemson. They they had the lead. You know, DJ Wongle willed them back, and Clemson is a better team than Notre Dame. So, like, I, I think, you know, that if Boston College gets a similar groove going, that Notre Dame's offense will not be able to come back in this game like Clemson's offense did. So I think 
you know, is Notre Dame's offense going to stun Boston College? I don't think so. I, I will still give the edge to Notre Dame just because I think their defense is too good for BC, even if their offense isn't producing as many points. So I think Notre Dame wins, but I think it's a relevancy test for this quote-unquote number two team. Yeah, you kind of mentioned it. I've, I've already shown my cards on this one, um, but I'm, and I'm, I'm sticking with it. I'm going with the upset. I'm going with, with Boston College. Part of the reason is the fact that the Golden Eagles are a good team. I mean, they have two losses. I mentioned the Virginia Tech loss, which w- wasn't great, but more of a fluke in, in the whole season. And the other loss was to Clemson, a team that they had on the ropes at Clemson, uh, and a, a team that, yeah, was missing Trevor Lawrence, but still very, very good. Um, and then the other reason is the Notre Dame win was – you know, the biggest Notre Dame win in, in years. And you saw how much it meant to all those players. I think there's a letdown. You know, the, the really, really great teams don't have that letdown. Like Alabama goes and, and beats LSU and the next week still gets up for Mississippi State. I'm still not convinced that Notre Dame's a great team. I, I think I, I, I agree with you. This is this is another one of those tests for those great teams where can you get up again and show that it doesn't matter who it is, that you're going to be the best team on the field. I'm going to be a Notre Dame hater. I think they're going to start slow. I think they're going to start flat because they just won't have that energy after the big win last week. I think BC takes advantage of that. And Notre Dame not being able to control the game with Kieran Williams running the ball, it's going to be harder for them to come back. And I think BC wins and throws a big wrench into the into the college football playoff because if, if Notre Dame loses this and loses to Clemson later in the season, they there's a very good chance they will be out. Right, I agree. I mean, I think... They need to win this game. I, I really do think so. I think it's going to be too confusing. Even if they win, I, well, no, that that would be a great thing. But I'm saying, like, I, I do think it's a big, it's a big game for them. Uh, and it's, it's probably their last test too. Like, if they yeah, win, if they win this, they're probably in. Because if they lose to Clemson later, I think I, I think they're fine. Like, this is this is probably it. So we'll see. Right. I mean, so what you're saying is no fans storming the field this weekend. Right. I mean, I guess they're on the road. So if you want to go storm Boston colleges, if you want to storm some Boston fans' uh, field, you you go right don't ahead. Do it. But don't come don't crying to me it. after after it happens. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there's there's God. our college football lineup. It, it should be a good weekend. Not as many marquee games as we had last weekend, but still some games that have implications conference wise and and still college football playoff wise. We'll see what happens with Notre Dame and Florida, but should be a good week of college football. Jan, college football will not be the only thing we're watching this weekend. We have a, a golf major in November, it's the crazy. Masters. It's incredible. I love it so much. It makes me so happy. It, like we talked about it before, if it was going to feel like weird, and it do- it doesn't. Like while I'm watching the Masters, I'm like, yep, it's spring, and um, I it's nice out, and I don't, yeah, yeah, it feels it's, great. It's perfect. It does. It really does. Feels just. It feels at home. I would have the Masters in fall every year if I needed to. We should just do two Masters every year. I I think it's a great idea. Yes, I think too, too. Tiger wants that, too, so that he could win as many as yeah, possible. Exactly. <laughs> Once Tiger retires, we'll stop doing the Masters. But, yeah, let's get into Let's get into Tiger. Let's get into all the performance. It's off to a really, really fun start. Uh, been one of the highest scoring Masters so far. Four atop the leaderboard at nine under after almost two days. Uh, delays on the first day of action have the play backed up a bit, but that's kind of great for us because it meant golf from sunrise to sunset today and will probably mean the same thing Saturday. 
um, and, and possibly even Sunday. So we're really just even more filled with golf. Uh, the aforementioned leaders, those four at nine under, two favorites in Dustin Johnson and just Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas. And then you got Abraham Anser and Cameron Smith. The surprises there at top. Uh, Abraham in his first Masters, which is miraculous. You kind of do expect him to dip and play a bit, but off to a great start after two rounds so far. Meanwhile, if you're, you know, Dustin Johnson and, and Justin Thomas, you got to feel very, very good where you're sitting right now. Anytime you know you're one of the favorites and, and you get off to that start that like that, that's that's what you want to see. It is, it is, it is a course at the same time, you know. As, as I say, we expect a dip from Abraham. It's a course that also, once, once you get into a groove, you, you can keep riding that groove from Thursday to Sunday. You see, you see a lot more wire-to-wire winners here in Augusta than you do at most majors. So we'll see what happens with those guys there at the top. Other storylines, Tiger Woods, we mentioned him. Four under through 10 holes of his second round. <clears throat> so still eight holes to play for him. You got Kepka and Mickelson still in striking distance at five under. And perhaps the biggest storyline, the favorite, Bryson DeChambeau, one over through 12 holes of his second round. Right now, he would miss the cut, Jan, which is projected at even. He still has time, still has six holes to play, uh, and that cut may change. It may go up to, to one over. I wouldn't have any faith in that. I, I think he needs probably a birdie to be safe. But uh, yeah, Jan, what are, what are your thoughts on the Masters? DeChambeau not playing as well as expected. Tiger still doing well, and 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 some surprises and non-surprises at the top. Yeah. I mean, I thought Dustin Johnson's been doing well all, all year. So it's not surprising to see him uh, come back in this one, you know, did well in the FedEx playoffs and and here he is uh, doing well at the masters. I think you'll see him in the top three, uh, no matter how that kind of shakes out at the end of this all. Yeah. Abraham answer and, and, and Smith out of Australia, you know, it's, they're good players. Answer has been, been like, you know, someone to look for, for a little bit uh, in terms of uh, what he could be. So, you know, it's good to see a Mexican on top of the golf standings too. That's not something you, you see usually. So uh, good, good for the Hispanic community. Not going to lie. But I, I, I think one of those guys will fall off probably pretty steep in days two, three and four. Uh, and I think one of them will stay up there, but I, I'm not expecting them to keep it up through the next couple of days, uh, especially with look at some of the names coming up the ranks. I mean, you have uh, Matsuyama, who's been playing good all year at, at, at eight under with a couple holes to play. John Rahm also eight under with a couple even more holes to play. You got Cantlay right there as well. So you got a lot of guys that are going to compete at the top there uh, and a lot of guys with much more experience um, at the top of the, of tournaments. Um I like Ustusen too. He's at under seven, and he's still got a couple like six holes I think to hit, so he can he can uh, do that well there as well. Uh, and and uh, Fleetwood and Rose up there as well. You know, Bryson DeChambeau, it, it's interesting. He bulked up, and there was some discussion about like, oh man, if Bryson DeChambeau dominates after bulking up, then the sport of golf is going to change because people will like shirk technique. And they'll just focus on bulking up and like and being strong and, and smacking it. But like, it, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I didn't watch the Masters the first two days, right? Like I didn't watch the whole thing. But correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't his power wasn't that the problem in a lot of his holes? Like that he overhit it, hit it in the grass, couldn't find his ball multiple times. I mean, so it shows that like golf is not about how strong you are. 
Like it just well, never has been. I think too. It's like, I mean, the power for me, the power, like he never needed better power that much as much as like, why don't you just become a better putter? And so like, I, it, it seemed like a weird philosophy to be like, instead of getting better at putting, I'll get better. I'll, I'll hit the ball farther so that I, I don't have to get better at putting or like, I don't know, getting better at putting kind of seems like the more reliable thing. And we've already seen him, his inability to make putts hurt him. Um, so yeah, it's, it is not all power. And, um, I, I didn't think he was going to win. I didn't think he was going to run away with it, but I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at how poor he's doing, but still lots of time. Um, it, as I said, it's, it's been a, a fun start from ESPN, 53 players under par after the first round, 71, which is most in masters and most in any masters round. 71.41 was the field scoring average, the lowest in a master's first round. And 24 rounds in the 60s, most in any Masters round. So lots of high scoring there on that first day. The, the second day's been kind of more of the same, which uh, also makes you think it's going to be a tight race because it seems like a lot of people are, are golfing well instead of, of you know a few guys kind of figuring out the course and, and people falling away. So I, I think we're going to be tuned in until, until the last group on Sunday, and, and I'm looking forward to it, Jan. Why don't you take yeah. us to the NFL? We're going to make our picks here in a bit. But we'll start Thursday night football, the Colts and the Titans, a big matchup, not only for the AFC South, but the AFC playoff picture as a whole. Break us down what happened between Indy and Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, uh, and we and we talked about this together, you know, Colts and Titans, you know, we, this is kind of feel, felt like one of those relevancy tests. And we, t- we talk about them, but they exist in every sport all over the place. And, you know, the Colts. We know their defense is legit. Can their offense compete? And the Titans, we know their offense is legit. Can they be consistent enough and not just rely on Derrick Henry and 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 make it happen other places, uh, especially against a stout defense like the like in the Indy? And surprisingly, it was the Colts that came out and showed that they're a team that can ride their defense. The Colts upset the Titans, thirty-four to seventeen. And, you know, I, and I say upset not because the Titans were overwhelming favorites. I say upset because, you know, you look at the Titans team, Ryan Tannehill has been in the MVP conversation. Derrick Henry in the MVP conversation. A.J. Brown, prolific wide receiver. Yanu Smith, you know, upcoming tight end. Uh, Corey Davis playing well. Just so many good players for the Titans offensively, and yet they could not get it going against the Colts' defense. I mean, the Colts' defense held them scoreless in the second half. And that's not what you want with a team, you know, that has Derrick Henry. You know, you want to be able to control most games. And if they can't control this game, it, it you know, it begs the question, like, can they compete with other teams? You know, like like with the with the Chiefs, for example. You know, the Chiefs don't have a great defense like the Colts do, but they have Patrick Mahomes. And it and it and it doesn't make you think any more that Ryan Tannehill can compete with Patrick Mahomes. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, Colts get it done. Good for them. Their defense got a blocked punt return. They were good all game. Rivers didn't make any mistakes, which is what you wanted out of him. Michael Pittman Jr. kind of had a coming out party, 101 yards in the air. Good for the rookie. Naheem Hines repressed in the run and pass and run game. You know, kind of reminds me of, obviously, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, different players. But the way that Phillip Rivers has been throwing to Naheem Hines out of the backfield reminds you of, of – uh, Tom Brady and uh, James White. You know, Tom Brady doesn't need to throw the ball 80 yards down the field when he was with the Patriots, just like Phillip Rivers doesn't need to, 
you know, throw it. And I think, you know, the comeback of T.Y. Hilton really helped him. T.Y., that, uh, you know, kind of slot receiver position right now. But, yeah, the Titans are just really inconsistent. And they aren't a true AFC threat for me because of that. You know, they, they, they're just never – they don't have the same AFC potential as the Steelers, as the Chiefs, as the Ravens, you know. So both are 6-3 and three in the AFC South, but the Colts now have the lead with the tiebreaker – uh, which puts the Titans in a little jeopardy. I mean, you think about it. They are now the sixth seed, which which is, you know, still in the playoffs, but just barely. And they've got the Raiders, the Browns, and the Dolphins all one game behind. All good offenses, all good defenses. So they need to win the AFC South. They do. They should win the AFC South with their offensive talent. Obviously, the Colts are there, and the, tiebreak, the, the tiebreaker hurts, but, you know. I think it was a big loss for the Titans team, and I think it's going to be a turning point in their season. Yeah, I think this is you know showing off the Titans. They don't, we know they don't have that explosive of an offense. I um, mean, as good as they can be at times, they they really do. They're they're a team that needs to be ahead um, to really be at their best and ride Derrick Henry that way. Colts defense, we've talked about a lot. They're tremendous. Phil Rivers had probably his best game in an Indy uniform yesterday, and it still wasn't an amazing game, but that's all he needs to do for them. And, and he's has not done the bare minimum, but hopefully he can because that defense does not need a lot of help to keep them in games. But, uh, yeah, big win for the Colts. As you say, now they, they lead the division. And a team, you know, in Tennessee who people were like, oh, could they be a dark horse? Now, now they might not even win their division. Um, but, yeah, a great game. Jan, let's go pick some NFL games. We're going to be rapid fire as hell with this. I got to go watch the Iowa Hawkeyes. I, I let's can't do, do it this anymore. So, Jan, why don't you start with your first pick? Let's boom. Let's rock. Oh, let's rock. Okay, it's Texans versus Browns. Man, Matt, I really want to pick the Texans. Don't get me wrong. I love my boy Deshaun Watson. He's been throwing like he plays for a good team. But I think Baker Mayfield, Mayfield is just enough to outduel Watson. The Texans defense is hapless. They made Jake Luton like look like the second coming of Steve Young the other day. And I think they do lose. Uh Less than people think, but I agree. Browns cover the spread, which is minus three right now. All right. Browns cover the minus three over Texans. Packers, Jaguars, Packers favored favored by 13 and a half. Jake Luton's probably going to play his ass off and cover, but I, I think the Packers, the, the weapons are getting healthy. Devontae, Aaron Jones in Green Bay, and this is a great game to get them all moving, get them back to full strength. I think the Packers win by 20, and, and if you have a Green Bay player in fantasy football, play them this weekend. They're going to go off. Jan, right. next game. I would not want to play Devontae Adams this weekend. Let me tell you, he might he might just get 80 points. All right, Broncos versus Raiders. Raiders favored by four and a half points, and I think that's fair. You know, the Broncos defense is really good and will probably keep Josh Jacobs at bay, which means this is Derek Carr versus Drew Locke, and I think Derek Carr is playing consistently enough to outdo a Locke, and Darren Waller's looking legit again like we knew he could be, so I think the Raiders beat the Broncos. Tight game, but by a touchdown to cover the spread. Raiders minus four and a half points. Jan's taking them to take down the division rival Broncos. I got Washington and the Lions. The Lions favored by minus four and a half. Perhaps it was a divisional love, but I was so high on the Lions this year. I I thought Patricia could put together a decent defense and and Matt Stafford surrounded by legitimate weapons and Galladay, Marvin Jones, TJ Hawkinson, but they've done nothing but disappoint. I'm not sold that Washington's going to win this game, but I think they're going to be keeping it close, especially with Alex Smith there at quarterback. There's, there's going to be some more miracles. So Lions might win, but but Washington def- definitely covers that plus four and a half spread. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. I think Washington's a better team. Uh, but yeah, Lions are there. Uh, I'm going to go with the NFC East battle. It seems like every week there's a battle for the top spot. And once again, it's a battle for the top spot. Uh, it is Eagles versus Giants. Eagles currently favored at three and a half points. It's a big game for Eagles in the Wentz. You know, Giants play tough. And it's going to be, I think, the decider of Carson Wentz's career. Because if the Giants go in and beat the Eagles and Philly starts to fall out of that terrible division, I think there's going to be questions about Carson Wentz's future at the quarterback position there. Uh, I think both of these defenses are good. Eagles also play really tough. So I think it's going to come down to who makes more mistakes, Danny Dimes or Carson Wentz. I do not trust Carson Wentz in the mistake department. I'm giving Giants the win upset thanks to the picks, thanks to a pick six by Carson Wentz. All right, Giants upset. Danny Dimes finally getting the win he's been so close to this year. Buccaneers, Panthers, Buccaneers, five and a half point favorite. If Tampa had beaten Saints last week, I probably would have <laughs> thought this was a great upset pick. But we, have, of course, know they did not beat New Orleans. They got nowhere close to that. They're now now they're looking for answers a little bit. Uh, you know, we've seen them this team at their best, and I think they're going to be very, very focused this week, kind of get back to that, and I see Tampa rolling by Panthers easily covering that five-and-a-half-point spread. Jan, what's your next pick? Right. If Christian McCaffrey was there, it'd be a different story, but he's not, so I, I, I do agree with you there. I'm going to go 49ers Saints. You talked about it. Saints dominated the Bucks in a way that we did not expect them to, and now they play the 29ers who just don't have any weapons to throw to, and they also don't have any weapons to keep Alvin Kamara and company out of the end zone. I think the Saints dominate this one, cover the 9.5-point spread, look for Jameis Winston to probably finish out the game too. Saints dominate there in the NFC battle. Saints covering the nine and a half point spread, says Jan. Chargers, Dolphins, a battle of rookie quarterbacks. Dolphins only favored by a point and a half. I, I feel like that line certainly will move before Sunday in the Dolphins' favor, um, or maybe not in the Dolphins' favor. Uh, I expect it to be become a larger negative uh, for them. But, uh, you know, the Chargers are a good story with a rookie quarterback, while the Dolphins have a rookie quarterback leading a really good football team. I think Miami's feeling themselves. I, I think they they feel as confident as they ever been. They probably won't play better all year than they're playing right now. So I, I think I think Miami wins this one kind of easily and, and easily covers a, a point and a half. That that surprises me. But yeah, Miami rolls. Jan, give me your next game. Right. I think it's hot in Miami, as per usual. All right. I'm going to go with my team now. It's the Ravens versus the Patriots. The Ravens only favored by seven. How can that be? The Patriots are so bad. Do we really not have any any trust in Lamar Jackson that we're only favoring the Ravens by seven? Uh, that's ridiculous. But, you know, I will say something. Belichick's going to make it hard for Lamar Jackson. He doesn't have to key in on any running backs or any receivers, uh, more, more, more specifically. So he's going to key in on Lamar. It won't be enough because the Patriots offense reeks. I think it'll be closer than you think. I think the Patriots cover the spread, but I do think they lose uh, just because their offense can't get it done, even when they might be able to. Patriots cover the minus seven. Man, you got to love fanhood delusion. Bengals and Steelers. <laughs> the Steelers. Yeah, but you think they cover the minus seven. I, you're still putting money on them, aren't you? Oh, gosh, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Fanhood delusion, my friend. Bengals and Steelers. Steelers favored by a touchdown in this one. They showed that undefeated fatigue last week against Dallas, and I think it's going to happen again against their divisional rival. You know, Burrow's shown no fear, leading the league in passing yards. They're going to just keep on letting him throw it wild. Pittsburgh wins, but it's a close one with Cincy. Uh, so I take Bengals plus seven. Jan, your last game. Give me a pick. 
That's a that's a great pick. I love that. Uh, you know, I think Burrow definitely has the de- definitely has the moxie to do it. I have I have one of the games of the week, in my opinion. Obviously, it's not the because we'll talk about it. But Vikings Bears, these two teams riding different elevators. Vikings riding up, Bears crashing down. Vikings are favored by two and a half right now. This game is going to decide these seasons. If the Vikings can win again, they are firmly in the NFC playoff race. If the Bears lose again, they are firmly out of it. So who can get their seasons back on track? Who can get their seasons keep going? I think it's an easy one for the Vikings here. I think they dominate. I think Dalvin Cook cooks again. I think they win it but clearly by two touchdowns, send the Bears into anonymity, and I think Mitch Trubisky probably gets his job back after this one. Uh, but yeah, I think Dalvin Cook cooks again, but I also think it's going to be a game for Adam Thielen because I think the Bears will probably stack the box expecting Cook. But look for the Vikings to cover the two-and-a-half point spread pretty easily. Minnesota taking down division rival Chicago with the two and a half point spread. My last game, it's the Seahawks and the Rams, another big divisional game. And, you know, big implications with the NFC playoff picture. Seahawks sitting there with the Saints and Packers at six and two. You know, we had a question a few weeks ago, which divisional leader would miss the playoffs? And we really didn't think any would, but I picked the Seahawks. And this game is a big one. Uh, If they lose this one, it's starting to really show the cracks in, in their armor. Uh, and I think it's a big one too, because getting torched by a, an ever improving Josh Allen is different than getting torched by Jared Goff. If Jared Goff throws for 400 yards, there is major, major trouble in Seattle because Russ will keep them in a lot of games. But when you're giving up passing yards to any quarterback like that, he can't keep you. He, he can't win you games. He can keep you in them, but he can't win you every game. Uh, I go Rams point and a half favorite in this one. And I'm, and I'm going to roll with LA. Jan, let's get to our game of the week. It's the Buffalo Bills against the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are a two and a half point favorite at home. Who do you think wins our game of the week? Or who are you, you know, betting I, on? <laughs> who am I betting on? You know, I like the Cardinals. I, I I think they're hurting after that tight Dolphins loss. And I and I think the Bills D defense is good enough. I do, but I think Kyler dominates in the win. I think I think Cards defense is good enough to keep Josh Allen from exploding at least. Uh, and I think they're good enough to win by a field goal. So I am taking the Cardinals. Look for Kyler Murray to continue to show his versatility at the quarterback position and look to get DeAndre Hopkins more involved, which will help his game uh, more than anything. Yeah, another statement game for for both teams and two teams with young, exciting quarterbacks. Allen and Murray, so similar but so different. You know, Besides Lamar, probably the two most dangerous quarterbacks with their legs in the league, but in very different ways. I really am a believer in the Bills, uh, and I think the Cardinals are close, and I think they're close to being perennial NFC West winners, but I think the Bills are a few steps ahead of them in, in the building of a championship team. They, they really have been impressive this year. It's, there's been so many questions about Allen, and I think each week he's answered them, so I, I'm done asking them. I think Allen and the Bills get it done against Arizona. And those are your NFL picks. Jan, now a couple – or just one NFL award to give, then some power rankings. This award is the Patrick Mahomes Award. It is the player that you cannot stop watching and cheering for, the player that just gets it done, has fun doing it, and is so damn good at it. Who gets your Patrick Mahomes Award? Oh, I got to go with DK Metcalf for sure. I mean, he's a highlight reel waiting You know that he know where he is on the field no matter what. And, and with a field with Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett and every other player on the Seahawks team, the fact that you know where DK Metcalf is at all times – that's why he gets the Patrick Mahomes award for me. 
Yeah, dude, I I had thought DK initially, and then I was like, Yannick's going to pick DK, and I'm like, but I still can't not pick DK. I mean, it's the, the physicality, the speed, the big plays. That that rundown against the Cardinals is the most insane play ever. So, yeah. All DK time. Metcalf runs away with the Patrick Mahomes award. And now, Jan, let's give our top five power rankings. We'll just be quick. Boom, boom. Starting with number five. My number five, New Orleans Saints. Who you got at five? Number five, I have the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar, I still have a little trust in him. Give us your four. Okay, my four, the Green Bay Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers is resurgent. I think they are at the number four spot. My number four is the Buffalo Bills. My number three, I got the Green Bay Packers. Who's your third, Jan? My number three are the New Orleans Saints. I think their game of the Bucks really put them in a pole position in the NFC South. Go right into that number two. And number two, I have the undefeated team. That's right. The Steelers at number two, not at number one. They showed some weaknesses against the Cowboys. My number two is the Kansas City Chiefs. And my number one, I still have the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jan, your number one power ranking? Oh, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, unbeatable. Really, really, really good. There you guys have it. It is time for the cool down. It's going to be the fastest, not most It's going to be a quick shower, quick shower. Jan, Jan is like... He doesn't understand. This is like a Bayern. This would be like if he was missing a Bayern Champions League game. We did an episode right before the Champions League final. Don't even get me started. <laughs> oh, right before or during? It's the Champions League right, final. Right before or during? <laughs> oh, it was before. It wasn't during. Okay. <laughs> historical fact of the day, Jan. Give me your historical fact. All right, today's a big day for the Supreme Court for Civil Rights. In 1940, the SCOTUS ruled in Hansberry versus Lee that African Americans can't be barred from white neighborhoods. And on the same day in 1956, SCOTUS unanimously struck down two Alabama laws requiring uh, racial segregation on public buses. So two different uh, years, but the same day for civil rights victories in the Supreme Court. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, My historical fact of the day the great novel Moby Dick by Herman Melville, published in New York today in 1851. Moby Dick. What a, Call me fun, Ishmael. What a fun title. Uh, okay, Jan, quick fire questions, and they're going to be quick fire questions. Freddie Freeman wins the NL MVP. Jose Abreu wins the AL. Do you think both deserved it? If not, who do you think did? I think they deserved it. I, I Obviously, the NL, people are going to say, what about, you know, Mookie and what about? But I, I mean, Freddie Freeman played phenomenally and was the reason that the Braves were so, so good, uh, especially with Acuna Jr. being injured. And Jose Abreu did phenomenal for the White Sox. People forget because the White Sox didn't go the playoffs, but I, I, I believe it. Yeah, I agree. I think you can make cases for those other players, but I, I think, I, I, to me, it doesn't feel wrong that these guys won. All right, Jan, this is a different sort of quick fire question. I mentioned Paul Horning winning the NFL MVP and the Heisman Award. He is one of how many players to do so. And if you can't think of that one, the the other option I'll give you is, can you name me the most recent player to do it? A Heisman Heisman and MVP? NFL MVP. Oh, Heisman and NFL MVP. Uh, Lamar Jackson. Oh, yeah, he did, didn't he? (laughs) Boom. Yeah, nice. there you go. There you go. So then, then there's there's nine players that have ever done it. Okay, perfect. So, no, I did not, not know. Bad. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have guessed that. I'm glad you gave me the other one. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was a good. I mean, that was a nice one because uh, you know he he runs so recently. But well done, my friend. All right, finally, final quick fire question: Next NFL head coach to get fired: Adam Gase, Matt Patricia, or Vic Fangio? 
Ooh, I, I hate all these coaches. I think here's what I'm going to say. I, I, I'm going to say Adam Gase. I, I think more than one of them get fired. I think, I think Patricia and Gase both get fired, but I, I just can't have any faith in an organization that doesn't fire Gase. So if they don't fire Gase, I don't think they take Trevor Lawrence first. Like that's how bad they'd have to be to not fire Gase. So I think they fire Gase after this. I think it's just been a terrible season and, and you know, they've gotten better things coming so they can just let him go. Yeah, for sure. Most two of those firings feel pretty inevitable. Um, we'll see if Fangio can hang on and we'll see mostly just win between Patricia and uh, Gase. But there's our episode today. I apologize for rushing us through, but I don't feel that bad. This is real Thank life, you. baby. Thank you for joining us as always. We we appreciate it. Wear a mask, hold the door open. You don't have to register for vote, but I don't know, maybe do it now because you'll be ahead from four years. You'll be already annoyed when the when the voting stuff starts <laughs> four years from now. So it, that's, that's such a good thing to get a jump start on. Jan, do you have any advice or sage wor- words of wisdom to give our listeners? Yeah, just be safe. Coronavirus coming back in big numbers. If you're in Iowa, I'm looking at Iowa City and Cedar Rapids, two of the biggest cities in the country as for COVID right now. Stop partying, be safe, wear a mask, and have a good time. Cheers, y'all.